Welcome to the Albany Update with Reverend Jason J. McGuire, Executive Director of New Yorkers for Constitutional Freedoms. Now, with this week's Albany Update, here's Jason McGuire. Thank you for joining this week's episode of the Albany Update. The 2024 presidential primaries are less than a year away. The entrance of Governor Ron DeSantis, the Florida governor, is certainly shaking up the GOP side of things. It's early, but we're curious who you're supporting in next year's primary. Then, we'll discuss developments at Houghton University, where this small Christian college is taking a stand for the historic and orthodox view of human sexuality. Next up, we'll be looking at state legislation that would force many private Christian schools across the state to choose between compromise or closure. Then I'll tell you about yet another abortion-friendly bill in Albany. This one would offer grants for training abortionists, as if New York needs any more of those. Let's get started. Back in December 2022, we discussed the 2024 U.S. presidential race. But in the six months since that time, there have been some significant developments. On the Democratic side, the major question late last year was whether President Joe Biden, the Delaware Democrat, would seek re-election to the White House in 2024. The answer to that question is yes. On April 25th of this year, President Biden announced the launch of his re-election bid. Vice President Kamala Harris, the California Democrat, will be his running mate. The Democratic Party establishment has united behind the president's candidacy. To date, the two best-known Democrats running against President Biden for his party's nomination are environmental and anti-vaccine activist Robert F. Kennedy Jr., a Democrat from California, and author Marianne Williamson, a California Democrat. Neither candidate is expected to seriously challenge the president. There is much more to discuss on the Republican side, though. Former President Donald Trump, the Florida Republican, announced his 2024 presidential campaign last November. Former U.N. Ambassador and South Carolina Governor Nikki Haley, a South Carolina Republican, kicked off her campaign in February 2023. Former Arkansas Governor Asa Hutchinson, an Arkansas Republican, joined the race in April. And U.S. Senator Tim Scott, a South Carolina Republican, kicked off his campaign in May. Lesser-known Republican candidates include entrepreneur Vivek Ramaswamy, an Ohio Republican, and radio host Larry Elder, a California Republican. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis entered the presidential race on May 24th. And over the past five years, Governor DeSantis has gone from being a relatively inexperienced member of Congress to becoming a household name in conservative circles. Governor DeSantis was elected governor of Florida by a razor-thin margin of 0.4% in 2018. During the COVID-19 pandemic, he became known for pivoting away from shutdowns and mask mandates much sooner than many other governors did. Governor DeSantis is also noted for successfully passing socially conservative laws, including limits on LGBT instruction in schools, critical race theory, and abortion. The governor has courted controversy, and gain national attention for sending undocumented immigrants to democratic states, and for his efforts to punish Disney for its woke social stances. In 2022, Governor DeSantis won re-election by an eye-popping margin of nearly 20%. The governor's political assets are his brashness, his ability to gain the support of diverse populations, and his willingness to adhere to his principles. However, 
Governor DeSantis is largely untested on the national political stage, and his pugnaciousness could turn off some voters. At this time, national polls show that more than 50% of Republican voters back President Trump for president in 2024, with Governor DeSantis hovering around the 20% mark, and all other declared Republican candidates in the single digits. It is possible that President Trump will win the primaries going away, and it is also possible that the contest will turn into a two-person race between President Trump and Governor DeSantis. So which 2024 presidential candidate do you support? Our organization is partnering with allies at Family Policy Alliance in launching this social conservative straw poll. We're asking those who are socially conservative to tell us who they're supporting in 2024. You can find a link to the poll in an article on our website or in any of our social media pages. Thanks for participating in the social conservative straw poll and telling us who you're backing in 2024. Let's switch gears to a separate topic. She and her. He and him. They and them. Well, over the past several years, it has become common in certain circles for employees to list their preferred pronouns in their email signatures. A person's purpose for stating these pronouns is to indicate what gender identity he or she has adopted. Houghton University, a small Christian university in south-central New York, has been in the headlines in recent days because of a personnel decision relating to pronouns. The Guardian has reported that two Houghton residence directors were terminated after refusing to remove their preferred pronouns from the signatures on their respective employee email accounts. The employee's refusal to remove the pronouns violated university policy. According to a university spokesperson, over the past years we've required anything extraneous be removed from employee email signatures, including scripture quotes. Houghton University President Wayne Lewis noted that the university adopted this policy for reasons of clarity and consistency. Dr. Lewis added, when you include preferred pronouns in an email signature, you are communicating to the public, to our current students, to prospective students and families, that you have an openness to, or potentially an acceptance of, ideas about sex and gender that are inconsistent with the beliefs of Houghton University. When you communicate through official channels, you are a representative of the university, and you only have permission to represent those positions that have been adopted and endorsed by the university. The Guardian mentioned, that Houghton has taken actions that are increasingly in line with religious conservatism. This is a welcome development, because Houghton's previous president, Dr. Shirley Mullen, reportedly attended an LGBT event on campus and stated that she wanted to stand in solidarity with Houghton's LGBT students. Like any Christian institution, Houghton has every right to lay out reasonable requirements for its employees to help the university maintain a strong Christian identity. Houghton's employees have an obligation to meet those requirements, and if they do not wish to do so, they are free to seek employment elsewhere. Christian colleges aren't the only ones dealing with these issues, though. Christian schools, that is grade schools, elementary, middle schools, junior high, high schools, are also struggling with this. The state of New York has bent over backwards to accommodate the transgender movement in recent years. In fact, in 2010, the state enacted the Dignity for All Students Act, or DASA, an anti-bullying law that allowed transgender public students to use opposite-sex bathrooms and locker rooms. 
In 2019, the Gender Expression Non-Discrimination Act, also known as the Bathroom Law, forced New York's employers and public accommodations to allow transgender persons to use opposite-sex facilities. Unfortunately, DASA and the Bathroom Law were not enough for the far left. Now, a bill moving in the New York State Senate could open the door to transgender use of opposite-sex facilities in non-public schools, including Christian schools throughout the state of New York. Bill Senate 3180, sponsored by Senator Brad Hoyleman Segal, and Assembly 1829, sponsored by Assemblywoman Jean-Pierre, the Christian School Bathroom Bill, would expand DASA by applying it to non-public schools. In so doing, the bill would make it unlawful for non-public schools to discriminate against students based upon the phony categories of sexual orientation and gender identity. The state of New York would likely interpret that language to require Christian schools to a. admit students who identify as lesbian, gay, bisexual, or transgender, and b. let students who identify as transgender use opposite-sex facilities, and c. to allow transgender students to play opposite-sex sports. Furthermore, the Christian School Bathroom Bill would allow non-public school students to complain to the New York State Education Department, or NYSED, if they believe that their schools have discriminated against them, based upon sexual orientation or gender identity. To put it mildly, the school bathroom bill raises major religious freedom concerns. New Yorkers for Constitutional Freedoms does not believe that the state has the constitutional authority to dictate pro-LGBT policies to Christian schools. If this bill passes, Christian schools and other faith-based schools would likely sue the state on the basis that the bill violates the First Amendment. While the schools might prevail, it would be far more preferable to avoid a court battle by preventing this bill from becoming law in the first place. Christian schools, just like citizens in this state, shouldn't have to go to court to defend their constitutional freedoms when it is the responsibility of elected officials to uphold the Constitution first. Passing this law is clearly unconstitutional. The Christian School Bathroom Bill is a threat to the liberty and autonomy of Christian schools. Please contact your elected officials about this dangerous bill today. You'll find an easy-to-use action alert on our website at albanyupdate.com connect. You can just use our Legislative Action Center at albanyupdate.com. And let me tell you about another bill that we're watching in Albany in the final days of the legislative session. It's Bill Senate 3060, sponsored by Senator Liz Kruger, a Manhattan Democrat, and Assembly 3279A, sponsored by Assemblyman Epstein, who is also a Manhattan Democrat. Well, this bill, or these bills, would create a reproductive health and education grant program. Each of these bills would authorize the New York State Department of Health to issue grants for clinical training in the performance of abortion and related reproductive health services. Grants issued by the DOH pursuant to these bills would be used for administration, faculty recruitment and development, startup costs, and costs incurred teaching reproductive health care. Uh, that's abortion, by the way. The sponsor memorandum for each of these bills asserts that in a post-row world, 70% of medical students find themselves training in abortion-restrictive states. 
The memo adds that the Supreme Court's 2022 decision in Dobbs v. Jackson Women's Health Organization greatly jeopardized access to abortion and the provision of reproductive health care. The stated purpose of the bills is to reduce barriers for medical residents who want to train and provide essential medical care that has been wrongly politicized. End quote. Well, there are three false assumptions behind these two bills. First, the bills assume that abortion should be promoted by the state and treated as a positive good. Second, the bills assume that it is New York's responsibility to make up the alleged paucity of abortion training in other U.S. states. And third, the bills assume that New York taxpayers should foot the bill for this training. Because none of these assumptions is correct, the legislature should refrain from establishing a reproductive health and education grant program. As of May 9th, the Assembly version of this bill cleared the Assembly Health Committee, and it currently sits in the Assembly Ways and Means Committee which in the final days of session means it could be quickly picked out of that committee and moved to the floor for a vote. Well, in the Senate, the bill has been sitting in the Senate Health Committee since January 27th of this year, but this is the type of legislation that could move very quickly if the Democratic supermajorities choose to do so. We just don't believe that we need to spend any more money training abortionists here in the state of New York. And finally today, let me just say thank you for those of you who were able to attend and support our recent Legislative Day event. It was good to be back in person again after so many years, and we're already making preparations for our 2024 event. Thank you for your support. You have been listening to the Albany Update, hosted by the Reverend Jason J. McGuire, Executive Director of New Yorkers for Constitutional Freedoms. New Yorkers for Constitutional Freedoms exists to influence legislation and legislators for the Lord Jesus Christ. To learn more about this ministry, issues you've heard on the program, or to make a financial contribution in support of New Yorkers for Constitutional Freedoms, visit albanyupdate.com or call 585-225-2340. Additionally, you can mail correspondence to P.O. Box 107, Spencerport, New York, 14559. You can receive the latest legislative updates at facebook.com slash albanyupdate, Follow New Yorkers for Constitutional Freedoms on Twitter at Albany Update or sign up to receive the weekly Albany Update email by texting the word FREEDOM to 22828.